Welcome to First Impressions, the podcast where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and give a big middle finger to all those haters. I am Kristen and I am joined by Maggie. Hi, everybody. And today we are talking about, I'm so excited to be doing this and like revisiting this movie because I hadn't seen it since it came out. I should say what it is. We are talking about Austen Land, the 2013 movie, an adaptation of the book um, about an Austen-obsessed fan who goes to an imaginary, big, a big manor house, which is an imaginary Regency world, essentially. And so, as I said, I was, I was excited to revisit it. So let's do first impressions of the movie. What did you think, Maggie? Well, I have always really enjoyed this movie. I specifically remember that Kristen and I did see it together. <laughs> unlike when I thought we had seen Bridget Jones, and it turns out we didn't. I very specifically remember Kristen and I going to see this movie together. We went to the local, like, artsy AMC, because this was not a huge release. It was more of, like, an independent film. But I remember we went and saw it. Um, my... First impressions are basically the same as my impressions now in that I really love it. I think sometimes the comedy is a little too broad yes. and eye-rolly, yes. but the overall, it's so enjoyable. The central romance really works, and I think that the actors and the cast are incredible. So I own the DVD when Kristen decided to pick this. It was not like, oh, where am I going to find on streaming? Like I literally just walked <laughs> over to my shelf. And popped it in because I enjoy it so much. So I had a great time. I love watching this movie. I think See, it's just so fun. I think it's interesting that you bought it and have revisited it because I have not watched it since the first time we saw it together. Really? Yes. And I don't think it was because I, I disliked it per se. I just had never wanted to go back and revisit it because my impression was the same of your as yours in that a lot of the humor, which could have been really on point, was just Jennifer Coolidge uh, saying tally-ho, right? Yeah, and <laughs> I think, well, I think that Georgia King, who plays the Lady Amelia Hartwright character, is kind of guilty of that, too, the where it's thing. just kind of a little too much sometimes. But 90% uh, of the reason why I bought this movie is because it has J.J. Field, and I love him. <laughs> She's a huge J.J. Field fan. It, and, of course, at this point, he had done Northanger Abbey and was incredibly popular in that and beloved in that. And so I think that's probably at least part of why he was cast. Oh, but let's 100%. back up. So, so say so. this was directed by Jerusha Hess, who is married to Jared Hess, uh, who did Napoleon Dynamite. And so broad, broad humor is sort of a little bit in their wheelhouse. I believe she also worked on this script or co-read it with um, the lady who wrote the original book. Yes. Jerusha Hess and Shannon Hale, the original author of the book, collaborated on the screenplay. And Carrie Russell of Felicity fame, uh, that will, she will never not be Felicity, right, uh, <laughs> is plays uh, Jane. The main character's name is Jane. And we are introduced to her as a teen when she is so Austin obsessed that she takes a teacup to a fast food restaurant. <laughs> and let me stop again and back up and say, when this movie, I was irritated from the beginning. You felt judged, didn't you? I felt judged from the beginning. <laughs> I knew but, that, it was gonna, that was gonna be part of what bothered you. I knew it. It's the same complaint that people read Fangirl and they were like, this is not what it's like to be a fangirl. 
I'm talking about Rainbow Rowell's book, Fangirl. And some people are like, she doesn't know what it's like to be a fangirl. It's the same thing where it's like, I am the true Austin fan. And I would never put Darcy was here over my bed. Um, And it's the same thing where it's like, people think it's this romance. And I'm in the audience like, no, this is not what Jane Austen is. But they got, I think it, but it is to some people, right? That's true. That's true. We have acknowledged that. But what I meant to say was not that I felt judged in the opening scenes of the movie, but when this movie was coming out and it was being advertised and my coworkers were sending me links to it, I was like, you think that you all see me as this person from the trailer who is wearing a bonnet and wants to go play in La La Land. And I was like, that was that was part of the frustration that probably planted the seed for the ranty podcasts that we did early in this early in our first impressions series of podcasts. So yeah, so I felt a little bit judged. And then of course I was criticizing the nature of her fandom, which we should never do when we've established that here, right? Well did I, you feel judged? No. Uh, <laughs> I also don't really care. I've reached the point. I'm old enough. I don't really care if people (laughs) judge me. But what I like about the film, and I think that you probably don't get if you just watch the beginning or you just watch the advertising, it becomes clear by the end of the film that her kind of obsession, I guess, rather than fandom, like her obsession is like a coping mechanism. Like she finds it difficult to connect to people. And so this is like a crutch and I think I, I like that. I mean, that's what people do, right? A lot of people do that. Not yes. necessarily with Jane Austen, but which is with anything. Well, I did. I used Jane Austen as a crutch for sure. And in much the same way you're describing, but also in a very different way. But I, I, I also need to explain that while I did feel judged before I watched the movie and in the beginning, she quickly transitions into a woman who's very independent and yeah. tries to sort of immediately thinks, what did I spend my money on? And instead of playing all day with the needlework and being in a big, big house, she sneaks off and she wants to be with the the stable hand, you know, the stable boy and um, have a, a escape from her escape, in other words. Yeah. Can we talk about, speaking of actors, can we just like quickly do like a cast rundown? Yeah. Okay. So obviously Carrie Russell, at the time, I guess like Felicity was her big thing, but now I think she's really come into her own just as being recognized as an amazing actor. And I think she was great. JJ Field, of course, my secret boyfriend is Mm -hmm. wonderful. And actually, I think that the movie is at its best when it's the two of them. They're so good. They, I mean, the romance, I don't know if you would say that's the central plot to this, because I think it's more about her just coming like into her own, like you were saying. But any scene that it's her and JJ Field, I am just like so keyed into it. I have Um, more to say, but I'll hold that back. Okay, so yeah, I'm just doing I'm just doing a quick rundown. So also the guy who plays the stable hand, Martin, is freaking Brett McKenzie <laughs> <laughs> from Flight of the Concords. Yes, I love him from so Flight much. Of the and also hilariously the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes, which is why it's in. so funny when JJ he's like, You're just a Kiwi actor who couldn't even get into the Hobbit. Like he's in the Hobbit. <laughs> he was in one of the at least one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Was he in the Hobbit too? Yes, he is in the Hobbit. He has actual speaking lines in the oh, Hobbit. Oh, nice. In Lord of the Rings, he's just in the um like council scene. He like shows up in the background 
at um, Rivendell, right? Because they, but they needed like every thin boned person in New Zealand. <laughs> Elfin <out>. person. Yeah. <laughs> but that line is so funny because he literally was in those movies, but he's also in like that hilarious, the, the Flight of the Concords, like hilarious comedy band who I saw at Wolf Trap. Oh, I don't know. I think that's so funny. And of course, Jennifer Coolidge, who is a cop, like, I mean, let's be honest, she is, as much as, like, I'm not sure her humor worked every time here, she is a, like, comedy legend who, of course, I know from Legally Blonde and Best in Show, and she will always be to Bay Stifler's mom from American Pie, but she is, I think she's generally seen as one of the best, like, improv film Yeah, and actors. I know her because, slight aside, my mom was obsessed with this sketch comedy show called She TV back in the 90s. And she was a cast member on that show, and she was fantastic. And what I learned was actually a lot of these scenes with her in them were ad-libbed. Yeah, apparently, well, I, I read on multiple sources that they were the production. They were actually kind of irritated with her because she refused to basically memorize the script. Oh, wow. They were like, can you just, and she's like, no, that's not what I do. <laughs> I, just I will say as much as I'm like, sometimes her broad comedy, it didn't really work in here. The line when the guy who plays the captain is telling the story about when they were like surrounded by the French and she goes, oh my God, did you die? Like I just <laughs> almost felt, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Everyone just looks at her like, Are you, I'm standing right here. She oh. was sometimes the worst part of this film, but she also got several huge laugh lines uh also james callis who we just were raving about in uh bridget jones, jones. diary was in yes. this too i completely forgot about playing colonel andrews and then i have i mean jane seymour legend like whatever we don't need to even really what what can we say and guess but mr hurst Kristen. yes <laughs> mr hurst <laughs> advanced guitar yes plays the husband of Jane Seymour and at first I of course because I never recognized everybody anybody I was like I was saying to Kevin I was like oh ha ha he's the Mr. Hearst character and he's like not only that <laughs> he's yeah. the Mr. Hearst Playing, like almost pretty much the same character with an with more sexual assault and harassment yeah. right for your viewing pleasure but I just think it's so funny Carrie Russell I mean her character is clearly obsessed with 1995 Pride and Prejudice and then like ha actually casting one of the actors from <laughs> yeah. that Series. It's a great little so funny. It's like such a good in joke for the fans. But and I'll quickly say too about James Callis. We can just kind of explain his character. And well, I was saying to Maggie, I was like, I'm a little disappointed because James Callis is a very handsome guy and can be a very sexy guy. But in this movie, he's just comic relief. Like he's not eye candy. He's wearing this ridiculous mustache and he's playing this very foppish, over the top dandy. And it was frustrating to me because I was like, James Callis, you so much more than this. I wanted to make out with you and your guy is Balthazar. And now I'm <laughs> yeah, uh, right. not feeling that. <laughs> Even though you were totally an asshole in that in Balthazar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you tried to kill humanity movie. multiple times. I still would have <laughs> made out with you. Um, I will say that what I, what I really like about James Callis' performance in this is that there was very clearly the over-the-top foppishness was his character acting. Yeah, because then when you see him when he's just like being himself, and there like few, there's a couple like behind the scenes scenes of the actors in the Regency house just kind of hanging out. He's not that crazy. Yeah, and he's a it's like character. he's acting as over the top. 
Yeah, and so we have to explain that James Callis and J.J. Fields and uh, the one other actor that we were talking about, the George East character, they are actors who live... Who's very hot. (laughs) Yes, he's extremely hot. That they live in this Regency house, but as a visitor there, when you pay for the vacation package, you get a guaranteed love interest. So they're all playing love interests to these women, including Carrie Russell, the um, Jane is her name. And so, yes, so he, when he's on, he's this over-the-top dandy, and you love it because he's clearly an actor who's so committed to his character. And when you listen to his dialogue, a lot of it is right on Regency Point. And um, I have a couple of lines of his that I wanted to talk about. But yeah, so who else in the cast didn't we mention? Georgia King. Yeah, um, I... I liked her, but again, like the same problem with Jennifer Coolidge for me was that it was just like sometimes too, just too ridiculous. Kristen, let's talk about like kind of the central conceit of this, like going to an Austin land type of place, going to like immersion in a Regency world. I could see myself doing that. I think that would be fun. The part that makes me super uncomfortable is like actually the scripted romance part. Yes, it's really weird. I would weird. not want some actor pretending to find me attractive. Like, I'd find that really disturbing. I would not be comfortable at all. It's also a clever conceit because at the end, there are a number of big twists about it. And I thought, I, I really was delighted by how, like, the script surprised me in that aspect. Mm-hmm. But yes, no, I agree that it would be really uncomfortable. And that's what you expect to happen you expect for her to go into this you know sort of Austin life and first of all you know she says to her friend Jane the Carrie Russell character Jane says to her friend this is my one chance to be immersed in the world of Jane Austen and to live in the world of Jane Austen and I was thinking anyone who does a close read of Jane Austen's books would want to be anywhere but in Jane Austen's Regency world. That books are all about the tediousness and the unbearability of just this waiting in the wings life and doing this needlework and waiting for the men to get done hunting. And in some reviews of this movie that I've read, one of them in particular, which is entitled Austin Land, where Jane jokes go to die, which is pretty harsh, but it it has this quote that I thought was so good. Jane learns that life for the Regency spinster, bosom on show or no, was a tedious round of sewing, taking tea, and waiting for the gentleman to return from the hunt. The repetition proves wearing. And her cross is our cross to bear, too, because so many scenes of this movie are just, she's in this house and it sucks. It's kind of funny because the main character can't afford the full package. She, She buys, like, the basic package, so... She's dressed like the Fanny Price. She's called an orphan. So it's really driven home. When you're a Jane Austen-esque heroine who doesn't have money and is out looking for love, it's even more shitty. I mean, you don't you don't have the advantages of being Emma Woodhouse. And so that's what's what we're meant to get, what's meant to be driven home to us, right? Is like, why would you want to be in this world? But then as you're saying, the additional fact that this romance that's being created for you is not real it just doesn't seem that desirable i wouldn't mind if they were like hey this is so and so and he's going to be your dancing partner when we do the dance class like that's cool but i wouldn't i would be so awkward being fake wooed 
Yeah. And honestly, the conceit of this love sometimes confused me as a viewer of the movie. Like the characters, like you can't really tell how the they feel because they're like all acting. But then they they break character so often that it's like, wait, are they being sincere right now or are they play acting right now? And what really drove me wild was that the main character, Jane, her motivations were so unclear to me because at the beginning, she really, really wants to be immersed in Austin's world. But almost immediately, she starts to reject it and she starts to go out on her own. And she she even, in one of the classic scenes of this movie, is asked to play the piano and starts playing Nellie's Hot in Here. Well, that's the only song off. she knows. She well, told yeah, them. No, I know. <laughs> but she, if, she did, if she really didn't, I mean, if she was really buying into it, she wouldn't constantly. And the other thing about it is that she meets J.J. Field, when she meets J.J. Field at the beginning, he is the Mr. Darcy character. So he's very standoffish. And they have this great verbal sparring where they do a version of the first impressions um, kind of conversation, which I want to get into. But my larger point, that conversation where they're verbally sparring, it's very sexy and they do it very well. That should have made her buy in. She wants to be with Mr. Darcy. She clearly identified this character as the Mr. Darcy. She should have seemed like she wanted more time with him. But anytime he then comes on the screen, she's like, oh, I don't, I want, you're an asshole and I want to be yeah, away from I you. Like a real I think that's because it's, well, it was clear to me that he's not acting. He's just like Jane Seymour character's nephew who was called in. And she's like, this is my nephew. And it's clear that like he, it, he is the only one of the men who to me was clearly not acting. Like he just really didn't want to be there. And so I assumed that she picked up on that as well. No. No, it's clear to you, but it's not clear to her because the entire conceit of this movie is that when he falls in love with her, she doesn't believe him, right? Well, maybe she, she realizes that the Mr. Darcy character is not actually the one that you want to agree with because he's kind of an asshole. Other, <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I was like, when she goes into Austin's world and she's really treated that way by a Mr. Darcy character, she immediately, like Lizzie Bennett, thinks this guy's an asshole and I don't want to be around yeah. him. And what I want to talk about their first conversation because many parts of this movie the writing is it could have been so much better I think but they do have sometimes in some conversations that do not involve Jennifer Coolidge that (laughs) are are really clever really clever and one of those conversations is the very first night where Jane gets to talk to everybody for the first time and she asks Mr. Nobly J.J. Field do you enjoy dancing? Mr. Nobly, I hear there was a ball on our last night. Do you enjoy dancing? Not particularly. <laughs> Scandalous. I am sure you have escorted many a fine lady onto the dance floor. I would say that manners make it mad. I look forward to having the pleasure of standing opposite you. But dancing... You do? ...is the true hallmark of a gentilhomme d'honneur. Pass the sheep's eyeballs. Traditionally, dancing is a matchmaking custom. Oh, yes. However, it fails unless both partners are equally fond of each other. You could say the same about any social intercourse. Intercourse? Such as talking to someone or having dinner with them. Society demands that we engage in social intercourse in order to seem courteous. Yet, in most cases, such actions 
but ultimately vodka. I really adore conversating. <laughs> Do you really believe, Mr. Nobly, that you can know the worth of a person at a glance? Can you tell me that within the first few moments of meeting each person in this room, you didn't form firm opinions of their character? Well, it'd be a shame if my first impression of you proved correct. And he gets to be pure Darcy and immediately say no. <laughs> and that's when the audience is like, oh, this character is Darcy. And it was clear to, it seems like clear to you that he was being genuine. But I don't think that she picked up on that. But she was, this woman was clearly forged in the fire of Jane Austen dialogue because she immediately holds her own. Yeah, and, that was great. And it's tantalizing. So he gets a Tilney-esque observation on dancing. Dancing is a matchmaking custom that fails unless both parties are equally fond of one another. So it's like Tilney observing, you know, the dancing is like a marriage. But Jane snaps back. You could say the same about any social intercourse, which is true. But then JJ says something that is so Austin-esque that I could kiss it. It is like the pearl of Austin wisdom. He says, society demands that we engage in social intercourse to appear courteous. Yet in most cases, such actions are ultimately vulgar. <laughs> and <laughs> to me, and I, I immediately I was engaged. I was like, this movie is going to be so great. But they lose that momentum so fast. Oh, and then James Callis's character gets to say, well, I've always felt that manners maketh man, which is basically Pride and Prejudice refuting that exact statement. Right. right. It's like Wickham's manners. And she says, it would be a shame, Jane says to JJ, it would be a shame if my first impression of you proved correct. That was such a sick burn. I loved that. It was a sick that. burn. Well, this is a... what I was saying. Like, I feel like this movie is the strongest when it's the two of them. Yes. Yes, exactly and, right. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I love that. But didn't you think this movie was also really strong when Jane was with Brett McKenzie? When yes. she was with well, that's oh, Carrie Russell is also just very, very good. But I, I think that was so yeah. sexy. I mean, he was so sexy. Yeah, he did I, a great job. I was, he's got like his little like ear earbuds in <laughs> with his iPod <laughs> when he's supposed to be like taking care of the horses and stuff. Yeah, no, they just had this. Despite the broad comedy, like the cast in this, I think really elevates the movie. And it has its moments and. Although when I, when I asked Kevin, I hate to harp on this, I asked Kevin what he thought at the end. He just turned to me and he said, why wasn't that better? Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel about this movie. It's like, it's not that I didn't enjoy it myself. It could be like really, really good. It had the bones of being a great movie with a lot of Austin-esque stuff. And there were a lot of Easter eggs. Like I loved, for example, that one of the things they do is they do a theatrical. Just like in mm -hmm. Mansfield Park, they use it to forward inappropriate relationships between the characters and intimacies between the characters. But on top of that, the comedy of bad of people being bad actors <laughs> you know i love the the like the butler guy behind jane seymour who's like you're rubbish <laughs> they get heckled you're rubbish <laughs> and actually it looked fantastic like the set and everything with all the yeah. and and that was when jennifer coolidge was at her funniest when she was like i am aphrodite and i have large ass and everyone's like what? yeah <laughs> you know oh my god i had totally forgotten too about when she shoots the arrow and hits the other woman's <laughs> eye oh my god so funny it, it, i think the, the physical comedy in this movie really works though yeah, um 
Like some of the, the jokes land a little flat, but the um, other than that's the physical comedy. And I noticed, um, I don't know if I had noticed this the first couple times, but uh, Georgia King, whenever she's walk, she doesn't walk. She does this kind of like hop, this like weird <laughs> hopping move. And sometimes again, it's a little much, but like the physical comedy in general, I thought was really, really funny in this movie. <laughs> The play is when Jennifer Coolidge gets the most successful laugh lines because she is pretending to, to act and doing terribly at it. And yes, and then she shoots Miss Hartwright, Georgia King, in the eye. And then Miss Hartwright is trying to be all like, woo, at the end and like sing. She's like, shut up, fart, right? It's like so childish. Um, I still think my favorite line, though, this whole movie is, oh, my God, did you die? <laughs> You're going to have to, like, do, find some clips or something to play because it's so funny. Yeah. Oh, do tell us the story. Oh, yes, we like stories. Please do. Can't wait. I was raised on the sea, bearing goods between the islands. But when Napoleon struck, I joined arms with my British brothers. Bravi, uh, bravi. Within months... I was first meet, and then came my moment of destiny. Imagine, one lone British frigate surrounded by four French warcraft. Captain dead on the deck, surrender came the Anyone threat. buying this? Never, said I. Did you die? <laughs> I mean, they're constantly breaking character. And the other annoying thing was her comedy was being really bad at speaking in Regency terms. Like she, yeah. one of my pet peeves is having to listen to fake British accents and both yeah, no, she I, yeah, and Hartwright has to do these, they do these ridiculous British accents, but she also, the jokes are just her saying, righto and tally-ho. The jokes are her being like a vulgar, stupid American. Vulgar, and that, that, that wears thin very it quickly. It really wears thin. And it could have been filled with really clever dialogue or with her making like, you know, if they made her like, an Austin fan that was just kind of bad at it. So she was constantly introducing like more subtle anachronisms and they, you know, if someone was having to like kind of explain to her, I don't know. I thought well, that, that we don't know, like that might've been what was in there, but apparently Jennifer Coolidge doesn't want to have oh, any part of your script. So we don't true. actually know. That's true. And, and that's, that's very true. But do you want to talk in more detail about uh, Martin, the Brett character and Jane? Um, sure. Like uh, he ends up being kind of a Wickham-y character, which I mean, spoiler alert from here on out, uh, but yeah. their, their romance, it's very convincing and it feels very authentic, which is why when you find out, oh no, Martin was scripted from you from the beginning, you're like, oh, betrayed. Yes. Um, yes. But that, that I think is like a strength of the movie that you, you really, obviously you like J.J. Field and Mr. Nobley's character as he also has character growth, but you like Martin too. So you're like, oh, but that guy's really good. Like he's a great guy. And then you find out he's really just like not a great guy. Yeah. You're very much in suspense. You're very much in suspense. Like which one of these guys is right for Jane? And you yeah. don't find out until the very, very end that he's a Wickham. And he has great chemistry. Their kisses are fucking sexy. You know, she goes to visit him and there's the birth of a foal. And you think, wow, this guy's... But the weird thing is um, the fact that he was an actor and that he was scripted for Jane kind of doesn't work in retrospect because Jane is the one who is always escaping from the big house. And how did they know that she yeah, would I, want I to do was that? I was about that too. Like, and I guess, you, yeah. 
I guess they were just making it so awful for her as the Fanny Price character that they guessed that she would just sneak away and that Martin would be there to sort of show her the rural side, you know, the workaday side of the whole operation. And or if she, she hadn't, they would have just found ways to have to, them. To throw them together, together yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, I definitely was thinking about that too. Like a lot of this depended on her, like just being like, well, I'm going outside. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go wander around the stables. <laughs> escape, escape the prison that is Regency life. And it's like, okay, we get it. But like, it's very weird to have someone come and promise them like a big house romance and then kind of, kind of make their life so unbearable that they like wind up and maybe that's free, you know, true Regency stuff too. That's the basic package. <laughs> yeah, that's the basic package apparently. I, but I do like though that even though like very clearly from the very beginning, they're like, oh, you have the basic package. Jane yeah. is still just like delighted by everything. Like even though her dresses aren't as fancy when she's putting them on, she like loves it. When they show her her room, she's still like, oh my God, this is beautiful. You know, like she's still excited. But I like that they didn't have her just be like from the beginning. Very few. Well, yeah, she's excited in the beginning. I know Austin's novels intimately, but just the frustration that very few characters are playing along with her at all makes it a letdown for me, too. I kind of wanted to be this kind of tourist along with her. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why she is so let down. Yeah, like you were saying, is that nobody else takes it seriously like she does. Yeah. Everyone else, like Jennifer Coolidge is like, oh, I'm here because my boobs all look great in those dresses. Yeah, in those dresses. Um, but here's but the she's thing. the only one until she finds out that nobody kind of, the that he kind of feels the same way about the time period. But like everyone else is just there is like and making a joke out of it. And I think that bothers her. Yes. Well, here's the thing though. Nobly is the other one who is playing the character correctly. So she should have been seeking him out to try to further her imaginary Darcy love storyline. And for some reason she doesn't. And instead she, she gets interested in George East, um, who is a character who's hysterical. He <laughs> is like um, a captain. Oh, yeah, a his captain. accent is so funny. He does <laughs> the Jamaican, like Jamaican accent so yes. bad. <laughs> and like, it's so cool that they included a person of color in yeah. their Regency world. They were, I don't want to give them too much credit and say they were committed to showing diversity in Re- Regency England. I think that's kind of giving them too much credit. No, I agree. Especially yeah. because he's just there for consumption. He's just there to sort of fetishize for his six pack and not, you know, accepted as part of like a serious part of the role play. Like the women are just sort of like drooling all over him. So one of the plot twists that they do is kind of clever in that they do a sort of sense and sensibility thing where uh, Georgia King's character is like a Lucy Steele. So George East pretends to be interested. He's acting. He acts interested in Jane. But then due to a discovery of a cell phone in Jane's room, which is not allowed she almost gets kicked out and Georgia King's character saves her. Well, then she becomes a Lucy Steele and calls in that debt and says, I'm secretly engaged to George East. And my so, last, like my last visit here. Yes. 
she stakes her claim to the George East character that's being nice to Jane. And so Jane then has to be like, okay, I'll act with nobly as my partner. When it's like, you should be seeking that character out. We know your motivations. We've seen your bed that says Darcy rocks over it. So also it's JJ field. Like, you yeah, hello. Anyway. <laughs> and it doesn't make sense. And um, the other thing that bothered me was that even in the midst of living this Regency life, when she does talk to Nobly, when she is rehearsing with him, they're both like, oh, we love the simplicity of this life and the the everlasting love. And it's like, no, you don't. You both hate it. You both are here getting to play Regency people, and you're both rejecting it as much as you possibly can. But again, I think that's because they, the people around them are not... Uh, I guess doing it it's it's like just a vulgar interpretation of yeah. that <laughs> and so they're both like this is not what we not, we're hoping for. for this is this is not actually the experience that it would be in it turns out as you said so the so nobly JJ Field is um the nephew of you know as you said it was his first week he's clearly not into it the audience can tell that and then it turns out he's a history professor. Oh my God, that scene is so cute. When she's like, you're an actor. And he's like, actually, I'm a history professor. And she's like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. That's really good. Oh, that's and it's so good. weird. He shows up in these modern clothes and it's like the first time Ooh, that I've yeah. ever seen DJ in modern clothes. And he's still hot, you know, but it's just you know, like- Actually, that's an excellent, I'm thinking like, oh, but he was in Captain America. That movie set in the 1940s. Yeah. Oh, but he was in Centurion playing a Roman. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> he really does do a lot of costume. Yeah, he does. Uh, historical, uh, historically based movies. So, and he's in a modern context. You are like, yeah, that's really good. But then, but then he's like, I'm a history p- professor and I love stepping back into history and I love the idea of everlasting love. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck does everlasting love have to do with history if anything if you're a history professor you're extremely disillusioned with relationships oh Kristen you're such a buzzkill my god it just didn't make any sense who cares they're both attractive and (laughs) I thought their kiss was really hot too I know it really I honestly when they kissed at the end when he convinces her that he truly is not acting and he truly loves her then she says tally ho and he goes tally ho because that's the joke that's but but it ruined yeah. the mood for me because it's just oh more inserting jennifer coolidge into i rewound it and watched that again because oh i thought it was so romantic and I something thought- else i noticed this time which i really appreciated he shows up at her apartment right which is like okay stalker um <laughs> but when he comes in he leaves the door open behind him and when she's kind of like you could have just mailed it. And he's like, okay, bye. And then he leaves her apartment and is in the hall. And so I, like, I think they, it's a delicate line to not have him seem like a creeper. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think that they did very well to make it like not a threatening thing for him to show up. Cause it could be like, he flew across the ocean to bring her back this thing. But when she's not digging it, he's like, he immediately retreats and she goes after him And so I just appreciated kind of like they worked really hard to not make him seem creepy or like a stalker at the end of this movie, which it could have. It really really could have. And you totally what they did a really good job with is the distrust that Jane has at the end of the movie in both Martin and in Nobly. 
Right, um, at the airport, when they're at the at airport. At the airport. So what happens is, one thing that happens when she's in the big house, which didn't really ring true, was that um, the Mr. Hurst character almost sexually assaults her. I mean, and, he didn't almost, he did. Well, yeah, he, he does. Grabs he her. grabs her. Yeah. He tries to kiss her. And, and then she knocks him on his ass. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it turns out that but it's James Callis comes down and he's like, not again, right? So it turns out this person is a serial sexual harasser. And so when Jane leaves, she's like, I'm going to shut you. She's so mad about the stable hand being an actor and her real romance that she felt was real was faker than fake. And she's so mad about that. She's like, I'm going to shut you down. I know that I'm not the only person who was assaulted. So then well, she goes I think to she's mad about everything being fake. And yeah. I also think she would have said that even if she hadn't known about Martin. You think so? I do. Because what she knew from the beginning, she was buying into a fake romance. But maybe she just realized how disgusting that is and like how yeah, I think, unfair yeah. and emotionally manipulative and no one should have to go through being proposed to when and then feeling like, as she says, I didn't realize I would feel like this. Yeah. I wanted it to be real and because I know that it's not. Well, it is real, but she thinks that it's not. Because well, I think that's has why she's so disillusioned with the whole experience yeah, is that, that everything is fake. It's not what she, you know, you always build things up in your mind and then it can be like invariably disappointing Yeah, when it's so, not. Exactly. And, but that's when she goes to the airport. That's why uh, both of them wind up there. Well, that's Martin why Martin chases there. after her because Jane Seymour's character calls and is like, you gotta, you gotta catch her and like, make sure she's like smooth things over and, and, and convince her that you really do love her. And because JJ Field hears that call, he also follows Martin to the airport to try to stop this from going down. But then she has two men. It was just brilliantly done. It was a really clever twist at the end. The movie was sort of treading water aside from a few bright spots. And then at the end, I was like, okay, this is so clever because she thinks they're both acting. Only one of them is acting, but she can't trust, you know, and here we are rooting for JJ. We're like, it's true love, you know? Yeah. Like, the thing You're about just a romance, Kiwi actor who couldn't even get into the yeah. <laughs> The thing about romance and why it's always successful is you feel as the reader or watcher much more emotionally intelligent than the characters. You can say, no, he's... He really loves you, or you know, in the typical romance book, he's just pushing you away because he loves you. Which when is are you not, crazy kids gonna work this I out? I know, right? <laughs> which is not a real life scenario that often happens. Um, and so that was really effective. And when he comes back, it's very romantic. So in the end, you start off enjoying it, and you end up enjoying it and getting caught up in it. And then, you know, I guess there are some parts in the creamy middle where you do have the laugh lines and you do get a little bit of Austin Easter eggs in there. So. Well, I think I overall like this movie more than you. And I seem to recall that was the case after we first saw it as well, but I still really like it. I'll watch it every now and again when I just want something light and frothy. Yeah. I mean, Carrie Russell is very likable and she like carries the whole thing. You know, you're really rooting yeah. for her the whole time. Uh, I just wanted her to get with Brett. I mean, after the what ball. Kristen no I mean as much as I like him like if JJ Field is in the game come on they have really sexy dialogue and they have and funny dialogue and they have a lot of it whereas every every time she's with Nobly for the most part for the most part they're like sparring 
in a way that makes it seem like they don't like each other. Yeah, then that's sexy. It's oh, not though. I mean, it's Brett's Brett's when you <laughs> see the two comparatively, it's sort of like exactly the same thing that happens in Bridget Jones diary where Daniel Cleaver gets all this good dialogue and they have this great chemistry because she and um, Martin have great chemistry. And the scene after the ball, what, what happens at the ball for, for those who haven't seen it in a while, nobly proposes to Jane and he really means it. But because well, he doesn't he, quite get out a proposal. Well, no, he's, he's just said, like, he I need says, to talk to you about something. And she's like, and he, oh, I'm just going to stop you. Right. But he really means it. And she believes he's acting. And so it's like this missed connection. Then when she goes, she runs away, right? She goes to hang out with Martin and they are sitting on the swing together and they're both together and they're just having, they're trading very cute dialogue and it seems so romantic. And they're like, let's be together after this. And you're just like happy. You're like, yes, he's the guy for you. He, I he did not feel that way because I wanted her to be with JJ. Because I like they were on JJ. opposite sides of this. <laughs> if you, if you didn't have, if he, if he didn't have anything in his court, if you hadn't seen Northanger Abbey, I don't know that you would feel that way. I certainly didn't feel that way. I don't know. I think I would feel that way. I just, I've always liked him. Well, he is very likable, but it, w- one thing that I think is a shame is that, he is so good at being the fun, charming one. And that's what we're hungry. That's what I'm hungry for when I watch him. I want him to be that charming Mr. Telney. And then when he's not, it does feel like a letdown to me. Oh, I didn't feel that way at all. I still uh-huh. really liked him. Okay. Different strokes for different folks. That's why there's all these different men in this movie, Kristen. I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have your pick. I guess. Did you see Martin's tramp stamp when she like grabs his shirt? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so good. <laughs> they have like this, they have like a fight in the middle of the airport and his like his shirt rides up and he's got this stupid tattoo. It was uh, apologies to Brett McKenzie if that's his real tattoo, but it's, I was just like, oh my God, of course, of course he has a tramp stamp. Like. <laughs> I know. I love the part after the end when she gets she gets up on a suitcase and she goes, "Do you hear me, England? I am over it," and just leaves. And then this other woman who saw the whole thing like goes up to Martin and just like gives her (laughs) gives him her card and is like, "Call me." And he's like, "Yeah, okay." (laughs) (laughs) Well, you see, the first the first icky note he strikes is after it comes out that Jane knows that he's just acting, he says, Hey, gorgeous. And then you're like, Oh, that's when we can tell that not only is, I mean, he was acting the nice guy, but he's really a sleaze ball. And there's one nice moment too, where nobly stops Jane and he, he doesn't want Jane to be going out and seeing Martin. And he says, what he says is something about that guy and because he's broken character and he's not using Regency appropriately. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. And he also says something like, then and now it's not yes. appropriate for, this a, time like, for a woman to be about, like out in the dark by herself or something. I thought that was nice. So I think that he's great. I, I don't care what you're saying. No, it's okay. I think I still think he's great. I still love him. I just, I just thought Brett won the movie. Um, but there are a couple of other just like little moments that I wanted to shout oh, out. Can I talk about one too? Yeah, please. I love it when they show the the guy actors hanging out like by the pool yeah. when they're off stage quote, because it's like 
James Callis's character is wearing this ridiculous cowboy hat and playing video games. And the uh, Captain Eastman, Captain East is like pumping iron and the butlers all have their wigs on and they're just like suntanning. And JJ Field, bless his heart, like John Nobly is sitting in his Regency outfit, like typing <laughs> on his laptop. <laughs> Yeah, by the pool, right? It's so yeah. anachronistic. It's so fun that they're just like <laughs> hanging out in their outfits, but yeah, doing right. modern things. Like I just I'm talking like shop. Yeah, it, yeah. It was really cute. Those were nice moments. They were really nice moments. But what was the point, by the way, of them like having all these buff? They kept they advertised like buff, oh that buff. all the staff, all the butlers and staff are like really hot. Yeah, staff. like what was the point? They're I, again, yeah. like I think it's just like the women who come here, the clients are women. Yes. So if you want, if you didn't want to get with, you know, a Captain East, or if you weren't feeling um, Colonel Andrews, and you didn't leave the house to get with Martin, maybe you have like a little dalliance with the help, you know? I love that, actually. I love that. But so little moment. So I died when she is flying to England in the beginning. And they're playing heaven is a place on earth. Yeah. and it's because she's going to Austin land. Of course, she thinks it's going to be heaven on earth. But I took it as she's going to England because people do. England does have this insane mystique. It, oh, yeah. To Americans, for totally, sure. For sure. Totally Anglophiles who just kind of kind of and, and, and imagine. So to us, it's this magical land, right, where Jane Austen lived. And we've visited a few times and it was magical. Imagine if you just happen to live close to Bath. And then you get into Jane Austen and you like love Jane Austen. And then you realize you can go anytime to like have tea in the pump room or go to the assembly rooms or go to the Crescent. That would be fantastic. It would be like a big playground. Well, I think the soundtrack is, overall was very cute, actually. Yeah, there were a couple of cute moments. Montages. And there's some. I like, I like a good montage. I like a montage. And there were some original songs written and performed by someone named Emma the Great. I believe. Oh, I thought that the Austin Land song at the end was kind of dumb, to be honest. Oh, I don't know. It was it was fine. It was it was cute. I was I kind of felt that sometimes the score left a little bit to be desired, but it had some nice moments. And um, I thought Re- Jane's Regency hair looked so icky in the beginning. Um, sometimes Regency hair just does not suit people but then when she does her makeover she sort of steals a pretty dress from one of the other girls and does a makeover and she comes out and they're playing betty davis eyes yes which which is so weird i have not heard that song in years and then this week i heard it three times no way (laughs) yeah i heard it twice on the radio on like classic rock 80s channels and then it was in this movie and i know it's just like a thing that there's a word for it i can't remember what it is when our brain like makes connections that aren't there but like going so many years without hearing a song and then three times in like two days seemed really weird. Pretty wild. So she comes down and she has this montage where she's doing all these sexy, she's taking control, right, of her destiny within right. Austin. She's no longer the plain Jane, but everything she does is not Regency appropriate. She like prances around the ballroom. She like kisses James Callis and then she's well, like. Everyone else is fake. So she, why, is, why shouldn't she and just enjoy it? Yeah, I think I that's guess. kind of the like. 
realization she has. And once again, she starts playing the field and not at all interested in Nobly particularly. But it's funny when she comes out and the line of butlers is walking and she's behind them and then she's and all bonnet flies flies off. <laughs> yeah, her, and the wind her bonnet tosses her bonnet away and all the men touch their hats to her at the same time because they're all stunned at her beauty. I don't know. That was fun. The Any styling other for Miss Erstwhile, the character she's supposed to be playing, is definitely very severe. And so I think her hair in the beginning definitely reflects that. The fo- there were, even with Martin, there were funny over-the-top moments, like him playing the saxophone and him yeah. playing hand flute when they're on well, the end. McKenzie is very funny. Like, so he is very funny. funny. And they give him funny things to do. And they also make him sing a lot. But he has to, Kevin was saying to me, he's like, I wonder if it's hard when you can sing but you have to force yourself to sing badly because the character is a really poor singer and it seems like a cute quirk at first. And did you notice that um, Hartworth, uh, the Georgia King character is singing? She does a performance, right? She sings and it's terrible. Of course she sings the last rose of summer, which is the same song that's in that new Emma movie. Mm-hmm. The last rose of summer. See, I'm a terrible singer too, but like, I was like, Hey, it's that song. Let's see if there are any other... Well, the funniest part about that is she is supposed to be playing the piano accompanying herself. Yes, and and when she finishes tape. the song, you clearly hear the click of like the tape machine stopping <laughs> yeah. that they were yeah. actually playing just for her to sing along to. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Because I couldn't... I'm a decent singer, but I couldn't play the piano. So if I was in Regency time, someone would have to play for me. Or at fake Austin land, they could just get a recording. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well... And that's the other thing that's weird about Jane. Like, they forced her to play and sing, but she doesn't know how. So it's like, why didn't they give her a tape? I say, I would die enraptured to hear you play, Miss Erstwhile. Oh, not tonight. Not tonight. Miss Erstwhile, I insist. I only really know one song. Play that one, then. Surprising. Seymour character like just, it's just punishing like she her. thinks that she's not playing along with the fakeness yeah. so she's always trying to embarrass her embarrass basically. her yeah yeah and the other thing I thought was interesting was that when the group when the Mr. Hurst character is assaulting Jane she yells this is so not Regency appropriate and it's yeah. like <laughs> do you not think that women of little status and little st- standing were not sexually assaulted like all the time well, no, I mean, of course, but she was just being like, this is not what I signed on for. Oh, like, this yeah. is not what's supposed to happen. Yeah. But, oh. and two people do come in response, but she is able to handle it herself. Thank you that very is, much. She is she a modern woman. On his butt. And his back, a Lizzie Bennet, A Lizzie Bennet avatar. She's a modern woman. Um, and I also, this is a very small thing, but modern contraptions are supposedly not allowed. And then when they're making bonnets, they have a glue gun. 
Yeah, no, but that is what is so great. Like they're going to kick her out for having a cell phone. phone. Like everything about it though is fake. That's what is like really makes her mad. They, they do have all of the toilets work, right? Remember Jennifer Coolidge is like, oh, don't use the chamber pods. The toilets actually work. (laughs) And it's like, it's just the barest facade of Regency life. Although I would not want a vacation someplace that really like a fake Regency place where I had to use a chamber pot. I wouldn't like No, that. yeah, that would be a kind of a deal breaker. Uh, like, yeah, we can we can compromise on some things, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's not let's not give up our modern conveniences. Right? They've just made life so much more bearable. Yeah. Um, I couldn't I couldn't imagine paying someone any amount of money to like enter empty my chamber pot when it's not necessary. Yeah, um, a word agreed. Yeah. So yeah, so overall, it sounds like I like this movie more than you, you but did. I hope that you still find it pleasurable to watch. I did, I did. I mean, it, as Kevin said, like it could have been more good serious Austin stuff. It could have been better comedy, um, but there were still some really great moments. So I, I might watch it again. I don't know. I don't think Kevin would want to watch it again, but I might watch it again. But maybe I'll make Bayard watch it. He did not. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be interesting to. He would like it. I bet he would think it was cute. Maybe I'll make him watch it. We'll see. He started woodworking. That's right. On Facebook. So he a spends of- a lot of his free time in the garage doing woodworking. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched it when he was out there. <laughs> Such a strange hobby to adopt. Like what, what made him interested in it? Um, uh, I think it was twofold. We do have, when we bought this house, it used to be my dad's house actually. And he and my stepmom downsized. And so we just bought it. It, they didn't do anything. They moved and then it sat for like nine months and they didn't do anything. And then what a coincidence, all of a sudden when we decided to move, they decided to sell their house. But, uh, <laughs> um, and it has a huge garage with like lots of space and he's always wanted some kind of workshop. He's very like artistic and a lot, a bunch of our, bunch of our friends were also posting on social media kind of projects, DIY home improvement projects. And I think that he realizes if you, you have to work your way up to that kind of thing. Yeah. So he has just started learning about the tools that you need and doing like very much smaller projects to kind of work up to, you know, maybe one day I can make kitchen cabinets or that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but right now he's working on, he, so we have a dresser in the nursery and he is making like a changing table frame to slide onto it. So nice. when you have like the changing pad and stuff, it will the baby won't just whoops, roll off the dresser. So he's going to, that's like his latest project. So when he was working on that, I was watching Austin land. (laughs) So to recap, I really like this movie. Kristen likes it with reservations. We both agree that at times the comedy is too broad. And otherwise it's a good time for everyone. Yeah. It's a fun romp. I would say romp. It's a romp. It is a romp. If you just want something like short and sweet, go for it. You'll laugh. You'll, you will LOL. I definitely do. As a J-Knight, I was not skewered at all by this movie. And somewhere in my heart, I wanted jokes at my expense. And I didn't really, wasn't really confronted by anything that made me recognize myself in any, uh, in any of the characters. So it was kind of disappointing. I guess I wanted it. You wanted to be angry at the movie? No, not to be angry. I wanted to laugh at myself. Like I wanted it to be like a funny illustration of J-Knight's obsessions and it's like maybe that's just far too niche but you know what i want to do now is read the book because all of the reviews i read online 
say that the book has like a ton of sparkling dialogue and um, yeah, I've never read the book. Maybe I'll read it too. Yeah. Yeah. We only got a, like a little bit of that in the movie. And so um, they, that's what it says. It's like a lot more of that in the book and like a lot better written. Yeah. I'll do it for those like midnight beatings. Oh yeah. Audio book. I, when I, when Carrie Russell stood up on that suitcase and yelled, I'm over it. I actually thought about you doing the same thing for pregnancy. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's true. I was like, over I'm it. Over it. When I told Bay, I, when at the, when did we start? Uh, like April, I guess I was like, listen, we talked about trying this year. We should still go for it. Even with lockdown. He's like, I don't know. Is this the best time? And it's like, well, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> And I was like, listen, if I can go nine months without a period, like, this will be great. I was so <laughs> wrong. <laughs> it is not a fair trade. <laughs> it's not a fair trade. Pregnancy is really, really hard. It's one of these things where, like, I've done hard stuff in my life. I took the bar. I helped my mom when she had cancer. I lost 80 pounds. Like, those are things I've done in my life that are really, really hard. And I could be like, not everybody can do these things. Like, I am proud of the fact that I did these things. But then it's like pregnancy, like a quarter of the world does it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard. I know that a lot of you are just like, duh, Maggie. But like, I just did not realize. A lot of it, though, is that people don't talk about it. And I am in a Facebook group for um, people who are expecting in March and April. uh, Like I am the beginning of March. And I appreciate it because there's a lot of real talk. There is not a lot of, if you are a woman who has not been pregnant, like I was, and you, I had lots of friends who were pregnant, but even they didn't really talk about it. There's a lot of stuff that goes along with pregnancy that like, is just not out there, including the postpartum recovery. That was very surprising to me when I learned about it. And I wish, but this is true for everything to do with women, right? Like we don't talk about menstruation. We don't talk about things that affect women physically a lot in our culture to our detriment. It's like in Bridgerton. Yeah. Like, yes. She yeah. doesn't know where babies come from. <laughs> yes. This grown ass <laughs> woman, which I also think is very unrealistic of that time period, because in a lot of ways people were closer to things like that. Yeah. Um, no, I of how they But like this bitch did not know about ejaculation. <laughs> Um, and so I just think that that's it. Like it's some of that stuff is still true to this day. Like we just don't talk about these things because it's not, it's not polite. Like we're not supposed to talk about it. And I wish that we did. So end rant end pregnancy. Um, You can leave that in or take it out, Kristen. I leave it up. I will leave it in. That's very interesting. I mean, most of our listeners are women, let's be honest. And if they're men listeners, they're probably sympathetic. They should know too. Yeah, they should know. That's right. They should know. Everybody should know. Everybody should appreciate how hard this is and have a little bit more awareness of all of this. And I certainly didn't until my sister got pregnant. And then, of course, I read about every single thing that could possibly go wrong and it made myself anxious. Yeah, I've been, I've had a lot of anxiety through this point. I'm sure that being like the pandemic has not helped. That's not helped anxiety. Things. And everything has been fine for me. Like I'm knock on wood, thank God. Like I've been fortunate that I haven't had any serious complications yet. But it's very scary. I don't know. Yeah, pregnancy's really it's hard. It's scary. I find I'm sure there are women who feel like super connected to the earth and the <laughs> and you do feel connected to other women and things like that, but like it's it's really it's body horror. <laughs> David Cronenberg, the fly <laughs> thing. Like it's scary. 
I'm so sorry. Anyway. Oh, speaking yeah. of my impending due date, I might, Kristen and I are going to play it by ear just in case you guys were wondering what was going to be happening. I will probably go on a slight hiatus. The podcast will continue. Kristen has my blessing to do some interviews and still do some episodes. Um, but I'm not going to like set a hard date to come back or not come back. We're just going to see how we feel. And I have a feeling that I won't be gone as long as some of you might think I will, because I'm going to need to talk to adults. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And not talk about poop all the time. <laughs> For sure. Well, I do. I um, have been working hard on getting some amazing guests lined up. Um, don't want to say too much yet, but I will, if you follow us on Twitter or on, the, on Facebook, you'll hear more. And one thing I can say is that our next episode after this one, keep an eye out for a new episode to be posted over on Manners and Madness which you may have heard us talk about. It's a David Lynch and Jane Austen podcast where they talk about one or the other. They don't like mash them up. So we've been invited over one day. there. Yeah, we're doing a guest stint, We're doing a guest stint and we're going to be talking about Sanditon. And when it is live, I will post a, a text only post on our podcast um, feed that'll just say, hey, go over to Manners and Madness and check us out. And they are a delightful podcast. I've been listening to them. I love them. Their Dune episodes are hysterical mm -hmm. if you're wondering where to start because they talk about David Lynch stuff too and he directed Dune, this movie Dune. Um, and uh, their Northanger Abbey ones are hysterical too. And actually one of their guests is, is named Kristen on the Northanger Abbey podcast. So I was painting this week this week and I was like just listening to them and every once in a while Maya the host would say what do you think Kristen I'd be like oh, well <laughs> can they see me <laughs> are they looking at me <laughs> can they hear me but I was just excited to talk about it there's another podcast that everyone should be aware of because as I said we promote all awesome podcasts that we come across so another one you should check out um is called Reading Jane Austen they are currently also doing Sense and Sensibility, um, along with Recl Reclaiming Jane is the other new podcast. They're doing Sense and Sensibility episodes as well. But Reclaiming Jane, uh, let me tell you what they, who they are and what they're all about. They are a mother and daughter team named Ellen and Harriet. And they've ta been talking about Jane Austen together since Harriet first read Pride and Prejudice. Check them out. Uh, they are currently, as I said, reading Sense and Sensibility. So go give them a look. Um, what were you going to say, Maggie? Oh, I was going to say that looking forward, we since I had mentioned Bridgerton, we will be having a discussion on Bridgerton. I don't know if it will be a full episode or a mini pod yet, but I'm sure that we all have thoughts about the series. Yeah. I know Kristen has thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I have some thoughts. So we will be, I'm, and we, you know, I posted about it over um, the holidays because Bay and I binge watched it. Um, so in case you were wondering, we will be getting to that, of course, even though it's like Jane Austen adjacent, I guess there would yeah. not be Bridgerton if there was not Jane Austen for sure. <laughs> yeah. There would not be a lot of Re Regency romance. It's kind of, kind of like a forgotten period in history, but now we all know the particulars and the manners because yeah. that, you know, because of Austen and then George at Hire, the first Regency romance writer, and then all of this. 
Okay. Should and we then, go down to the wheat sheath, Christian? Yeah. Or do you have something else? No, that's that's okay. I was kind of already in the wheat sheath when I was talking about reading. We're already in the weeds of the wheat sheath. We are. I we got a lovely email from our fan Wendy who that I have not yet responded to, but I will. I apologize. Um and she said that she listened to Wuthering Heights and another kind of trauma that may have affected Heathcliff um, is something called adoption trauma, which I'll let people look into. There seems to be a little bit of, you know, still discussion going on about it. But also she wanted to make a recommendation. She was re-listening to our um, Sense and Sensibility podcast. And Christina Moreland is one of her favorite Jaff authors. So she wanted to give a Mm -hmm. shout out to her. Um, and a book called The Year in Between, which is about what happened between Marianne and Brandon that leads them to marrying. Um, so check that out. And um, I thought that her observation about adoption trauma was brilliant. Thank you, Wendy. That was yes. excellent. Thank a you. A lot of good food for thought. Like the, to help explain um, Heathcliff's character and his kind of lashing out at everybody and wanting to kind of destroy these people. I thought that was just, I'd never heard of that. And it just made a lot of sense. Alrighty. So anything else that I missed? Um, I don't think so. I'm just kind of, we're just chilling. Happy new year, everybody. Yeah, Happy new year. Thank God. Jeez. Although I think 2021 is sus. Like, uh, is suspect. Yeah. I'm not convinced yet. We'll see. I'm happy to have 2020 in the rear view. Yeah. But for uh, sure. I don't know. These COVID we, numbers still spiking. Who knows? We all just wanted something to celebrate to feel like it was over when it's, of course, not. It was an arbitrary, you know, yeah. uh, finish line. But yeah, And um, then, of course, the Jews were like, well, <laughs> New Year's three months ago, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Happy New Year, Happy 2021. Yay! I never thought I'd be this old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. We look great. Uh, On a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kristen, congratulations to Kristen also on your your graduation. Thank you. Yes, I have graduated. Do you want to tell people about your degree? I have a, I guess I've doxed myself enough already. I have, um, I got a master's degree about 10 years ago in library science, and my current degree is in education, instruction, and curriculum. So now I am, you know, qualified to teach instruction about librarianship and searching (laughs) and all this. So, well, you were also not shy about speaking of looking good, like your hair looked amazing in the pictures that you shared on Facebook on our, on our page. That's so drunk. I we opened a bottle oh, of champagne delightful. and then I was doing Zoom calls all day long with my family and I was just drinking champagne and eating cake and I got so drunk I decided for some reason to read the first few paragraphs of A Christmas Carol because this was before Christmas. So I was like, I'm going to read the first few paragraphs of A Christmas Carol and I'm going to post it on my Instagram and it's going to be hilarious. So I'm drunkenly like, Marley was dead to begin with. And, um, but my hair looked great. That's yeah, the No, That's but the actually, Bay and I both agree <laughs> that this should be a new series. Uh, like, remember when Jennifer Ely read Pride and Prejudice on Instagram? Yeah. Like, Chris, drunk, Kristen drunk reading classic literature definitely yeah. needs to be a new series. I'm all in. When you're drunk, I'll be a Patreon. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Yes, please be a Patreon. Well, when you're drunk and you're reading Dickens, you kind of just want to throttle him because it's <laughs> like, 
Marley was dead to begin with. Mind. I don't know what it is about, or dead as a doornail. Yes, mind. I don't know what it is about doornails that make them so dead. And he goes on and on. And it's like, do you remember the first sentence of, um, oh my God, what is the, the book about the uh, the French Revolution? Uh, oh my God, help. What is the name of that book? His like big famous one. Tale of Two Cities. The Best of Times, Worst of Times. Yeah, I think that that is one sentence that is a paragraph long. Oh, here's liberal use of a semicolon and that is all one sentence and I remember opening it up in high school and being like this is already wild like I already don't know what to do with this <laughs> I'm bringing it up right now I'm gonna okay, drunk drunk this you. no but I can pretend I'm you always like semi it was the best of <laughs> times it was the worst of times it was the age of wisdom it was the age of foolishness it was the epoch of belief it was the epoch of incredulity it was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. He has a lot of nerve. <laughs> in short and then going on with all those words i don't know i've never been a huge dickens fan um i like adaptations of the book except bleak house because that was just super depressing but it's called bleak house it's kind of like does what it says on the tin the, the, the thing is that austin is even more to be um is even more of a genius because she she didn't. I mean, this was after Dickens was after Austin, and they had yeah. learned nothing from her ability to <laughs> to write for the modern era in a way that is easily comprehensible. So, anyway, I agree. Uh, apologies to anyone who is a Dickens fan out there. I was <laughs> no Dickens fan. It's just not. It's just not my personal favorite. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a wild first sentence right there. I read A Christmas Carol every year, and I adore it. But I've tried other Dickens, and I just cannot do it. Stuff. I'm pretty sure I've read A Tale of Two Cities like three times and it's still kind of all a blur. Okay. So I don't remember a lot of it. Okay. Well, thanks everyone. Thank you for, for joining us. <laughs> uh, per usual, we've kind of gone off the rails, but yeah, we know you guys like it. So <laughs> you love it. All righty. Uh, 2020, you have delighted us long enough. Yeah. GTFO. Bye. Oh, bye. <laughs>